Lord, I thank you that your word is a firm foundation that we can sink our hearts into your promises and into your commandments and find rest and purpose and guidance and comfort and hope. So I pray right now that you would be with us as we turn to look at your word and turn to look at a topic in your word that encompasses the whole of the Christian life, love for you. Father, I pray that you would be with my words now. Um, I pray that you would be with our ears, help us to hear from you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to focus, banish all sleepiness. I pray that you'd help us to listen, banish distraction, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher ultimately this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, Brian asked the same question that I'm going to ask this week. What is love? What is love? Such an important topic, especially feels like in our day and age, but it is in every generation. There's so much confusion about love and what love is. How do we define it? In general, I think when we say, I love you, or I love that, it means we're attracted to something or someone. An attraction is a sense of being drawn towards a thing because of how the qualities in that thing or person affect you. In fact, the idea of affection or attraction is closely related. That affects me, and therefore I have an affection for it. It's, it's all bound up in the, the same language, okay? So I have a great affection for donuts. Why? Because they affect me in a wonderful way when they're in my mouth. They were calling to me Thursday from the table in there. I heard them. Ken heard them too. I said no. Why did I say no? Well, because when I, I have a great affection for donuts, but while they affect me positively in my mouth, they don't have quite so positive of effect on my stomach, which leads to another point about love or attraction. We humans are attracted to all kinds of things in creation, but our attractions are constantly going out of whack. For example, my daughter Esther, she's one, she is very attracted to sand. Monday, we were down at the river. She wanted to eat the sand. One handful, we saved just before going through her mouth, had a delicious-looking cigarette butt in it. Okay? And no matter how much she puts it in her mouth, you know, the, the facial expressions are hilarious. And then you, you get it cleaned up, and she reaches for another one. I mean, it's like... 
maybe there's a light at the end of this tunnel somewhere, right? Maybe the next bite will have that tasty morsel that she's looking for. So she's attracted to it, but it's not good for her. So attraction, love, they're bound up in each other. To love something is to be drawn to it. It affects you, and you have an affection or attraction to you. Now, this one's not for, like, Carl or Uncle Mal or maybe some of you, but uh, why, why do people go on Facebook? They love it. Why? Because it attracts them. Promises to delight our hearts with all sorts of things. Your posts get likes from others. You see mind-numbing, funny videos. Now, last week, Brian said a good word for love was commitment in the Bible. Love is a commitment to something or someone. And I totally agree with him. And here's where what he said and where what I'm saying about attraction are um, connected, okay? We commit ourselves to what we are attracted to and fall in love with. And so Esther's very committed to sand, right? <laughs> for better or for worse. We commit ourselves to the objects of our affections because of how they make us feel or how we think they'll make us feel because of the promises that they hold out to us. We love people and things that make us feel good, and we avoid, hate, or even seek to destroy things that threaten us or make us feel bad. So again, love is an attraction to someone or something that captures our hearts with some kind of promise of enjoyment or hope or comfort, something we want. And then we commit ourselves to the objects of our love. And friends, we were made for this. We were hardwired by God to satisfy our hearts with what we love because he made us down to our very DNA. He made us to find our deepest and our greatest pleasure and joy in life in loving him for all eternity. Now last week, for those of you who weren't here, Brian gave us a sweeping overview of the whole book of Deuteronomy. And sadly, it wasn't recorded. Uh, the buttons were pushed wrong. So anyway, that one is uh, not preserved for, for those who weren't here. But this morning, what I'd like to do is more of an overview-type sermon focused on a message or on the theme of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, at its very core, has this as its main theme. Love God. Deuteronomy is a call for an attraction to God and an affection for God and a delight in God that consumes our whole lives and doesn't ever go away. A faithful covenant love. Deuteronomy is a call from God coming through Moses to God's people Israel thousands of years ago to love God with their everything, with all they are forever and always. And so this morning, I'd like to focus on four things. First, the God of love. Second, Israel's call to love God with their everything in Deuteronomy. Third, the way to love God with our everything. And fourth, our call to love God. Our call to love God with our everything. So first, we're going to look at the God of love. The reason that Deuteronomy calls Israel to love God above all is because humans, we are made, as humans, we're made in God's image. Like us, God is attracted to what is beautiful. He delights in righteousness and justice and faithfulness and truth and love. 
And whatever God makes is, of course, good and right and true and beautiful because God himself is the fountain of every good and beautiful and perfect thing. No darkness comes from God's light. And within the person of the Trinity, before creation ever came to be, God the Father, by his Spirit, is attracted to, was attracted to, and loves his Son. And he loves his Son always and forever. God didn't create us back in Genesis 1, 2, 3. He didn't create us because he needed someone to love. I'm so lonely being God. I'll just make people, and then I won't be lonely. I'll have someone to love. Some people really think that. No. God has always been loved. There was no deficiency of love within his triune person. The Father has always loved the Son. The Son always loved the Father by the spirit of love between them. And the Father is always pleased with his Son, Jesus. And Jesus always trusts his Father. We see that in the Gospels. He's always committed to his Father and to his Father's will. He's always attracted to the Father because his Father is always intimately good and attractive. And the Son cannot not love His Father above all things in the universe. The love and the attraction, the affection, the, the closeness, the oneness that exists between the three persons of our triune God is more powerful than any magnet you could ever imagine. They are one without compromising their diversity. Three persons, yet one God. It's a mystery, and yet we see it all over the Bible. If we are commanded to love God in Deuteronomy above all things, then who should God love above all things? God, within the persons of the Trinity, loves God above all things. God is utterly devoted to loving His Son by the Spirit between them, and the Son is utterly devoted to loving his Father by the Spirit within him. God loves God foremost and forever. He always has and he always will. He does not need us to add to his love or to be a vessel for his love. He has always been a never-ending fountain of love and joy and delight. He's not a needy God. He's not a needy God. He's a God of love who then creates, this is where we come in, he creates people to be in relationship with him and to enjoy his love. He created humans to share in the love. He wants to share his love with us. In Romans 5, Verse 5, we learn that if we trust in Jesus, God actually pours his own love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's how he shares. You and I were not created simply to admire God like a, a fireworks show. By the way, for those who saw the Colton fireworks, right, they were awesome. That thrills our hearts. There's something about it that's so pretty and cool. But 
we aren't just to admire God like that. I mean, there's a lot of fireworks shows in the Old Testament, like Mount Sinai shaking and the people freaking out, and yet they still didn't have the love of God on their hearts. No, God is not like a fireworks show that we admire. We were actually created to experience his love, to enter into it, to become a part of the triune family, the Trinity. Not by becoming God ourselves, but by being joined to God through a covenant relationship with our creator and our creation. A relationship that the Bible actually calls marriage. That's where we're headed when our bridegroom returns. Once again, though, I've been saying that love is a powerful attraction to something that delights our hearts. I mean, we were created to find our greatest joy and delight in knowing God. And in being in relationship with this triune God, in hearing from him, in speaking with him in prayer, in dwelling with him one day forever. That's what we were made for. Everything in creation was put here for humans to hear and taste and see and smell and touch to help you know what God's goodness is like. And the best way to love yourself and to take care of yourself and to delight and satisfy your heart in this world, both now and forever, is to love God faithfully and truly. You want to love yourself? Love God with all your might. You want to do the best thing for your family? Make God the biggest thing in your home. Make him the center of everything. That's how we love ourselves. We put God first because there is nothing more satisfying than the maker of everything good and everything right. And everything beautiful. But because of Adam and Eve's rejection of God, we as their children, we're not born loving God first. And instead, we're born loving ourselves first. And in the end, it leads to misery and death. We're born preferring ourselves and other created things to God. We're born with our loves all out of whack. We are convinced that sand will taste good eventually if we keep putting it in our mouths because we might get some sweetness out of it. Every sin or evil you can think of happens because of disordered love. Adultery, murder, envy, pride, stealing. We are a mess. And yet the God of the Bible still chooses to love people. And in Deuteronomy, we learn that the, the God of the Bible, the God of love, he loves Israel. Not because Israel is so lovely. No. God delights to love the unlovely. He set his love on them because he's love. And he loves to make the unlovely into something beautiful and holy and good. God's love is a creative force. In Genesis 1, he took the chaos of the uncreated elements and he wove them into something beautiful. Darkness was over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And the light that we are enjoying even now came from him and brought order to the darkness. He still is in the business of beautifying the broken, healing the sick, raising the dead, justifying the ungodly. That's what our God does. So turn with me, if you've got your Bible, to Deuteronomy now. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 6, and a couple other spots. So Deuteronomy 7. And we're going to look at verses 6, and eight, 6 to 8. There God says this. 
For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. Talking about Israel. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the people. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So do you see the logic in that passage? God chose Israel to be his special people, to be an instrument of blessing to bring Jesus to the nations, ultimately. God chose them, and he set his love on them. It's like the triune God, full of love, says, I'm going to take my love, and I'm going to set it on this nation. Why? Well, it wasn't because they were extra special. It wasn't because they had lots of potential. It wasn't because they were the biggest of the nations. You're like, man, I can really work with this. No. We've read the story to this point. They are a broken and messy people, and they were the fewest of all the people. In fact, they started with one man, Abraham, who was a moon worshiper, worshiping other gods in Ur when God called him and set his love on him. Why? Because he loved you. God loved you because he loved you. What's that mean? What's the logic there? It means God loved you because that's what God does. He is a God who loves to love the unlovely. With a world broken and spiraling in chaos from broken and disordered love, the triune God steps in and he says, I'm going to show you what love looks like. And he sets his love on a nation, eventually to bring us his son, which will end there. Jesus, who shows us what God's love looks like. He loves you because he loves you, period. That's true for Israel, and that's true for you and I. God loves you because he set his love on you, period. It's not because you're smarter than your neighbor. It's not because you are more spiritually inclined. It's not because you have more good deeds. It's not because you were a better Bible reader or you have a list of sins you didn't do. He loves you because he loves you, because you look to his son, and trusted his son through faith. God set his love on you, period. And so it's in this context, as undeserved, unmerited, unearned love, that God tells Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to love him with all they are. He is the God who has set his love upon them, apart from anything good or bad that they have done, and now the God of love calls them, commands them even, to love him. As the Apostle John says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. So let's look now at Israel's call to love God with their everything. That's the second point today. The God of love and Israel's call to love this God who loved them. If you still have your Bible open, flip back a page to Deuteronomy 6. Very familiar words. All, most Hebrew children are taught to memorize this. Shema Yisrael. Yahweh Yahweh We memorized it. I don't remember it all. But anyway, <laughs> Brian could probably finish it up. But Shema Yisrael. Hear Israel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 
These commands I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. So the words, they start with the call to listen. Listen to these words. And then the verses end by saying that the words are to be on the hearts of the people and then on the lips of the people as they teach them to their children. Notice the progression here. Israel is to hear the words. The words are to go into their ears, take root in their hearts, and then go to their lips where they speak them and pass them on, where a new generation can then hear them, take them to their hearts, and speak them, and on and on. And what are these words? The words are in verse 4. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The love of God was to be on their hearts. That's the closest words in context. Now, of course, God wanted all the words of his law to be on their hearts, but these words, love God with all your everything, that's really supposed to be a summary of all the rest of God's law. So if the love of God is on your heart, then you will have all the commands of God on your heart. The law is just an expansion of what it looks like to love God and to love people made in the image of God. Now notice how God prefaces his command here. Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Now there's different ways that translations try to figure out what's being said here. Some say Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone. In other words, Yahweh is the only God. I think one is the best translation here. And I, I think that the idea is basically that just as Yahweh, the Lord, is, he's an undivided being in his glory and power and holiness. He is one God, undivided. So Israel's hearts are not to be divided in their worship of the one God. They're to love and worship the one God, the one united, undivided, triune God with undivided hearts. That's why the psalmist can say in Psalm 86, you alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. So here the psalmist is saying, if God is one, then I want to worship him with an undivided heart, a united heart. I don't want half of my heart running after something else. Unite my heart to fear your name as the highest name. But how is Israel to do this, to love God with all their hearts? As we read through the narratives, Israel is constantly going astray. And they're always failing to love and worship God alone. And that brings us to point three, the way to love God with our everything. Now, Brian touched on this last week. We're going to be spending several weeks on this as we hit these individual chapters in the days to come. But I want you to listen to these words from Deuteronomy 29, verse 4. How is Israel, how is Israel going to love God from the heart? Deuteronomy 29, 4. We read something really sobering. Moses tells Israel, to this day, Yahweh has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. So here we see that a heart to know God, and eyes to see God, and ears to hear God, so that our hearts might love God, that is ultimately a gift from God. Ezekiel 
gives a picture of this in chapter 36, a famous chapter of the Bible where Ezekiel says that God's Spirit is going to replace the hearts of the people that are, are stone hearts with living hearts, hearts of flesh. It's a heart operation that's needed. They've got to have a new heart, and that can only come from God. That's why their hearts are always going astray because they haven't gotten a new heart yet. And that, in this context of Deuteronomy 29, Moses has just given some blessings if they keep God's words and some curses if they disobey. And then he's pretty much like, guess what? You're going to get cursed. You're going to get kicked out of the land. Things are going to be really, really, really bad for you because you don't have a heart yet. God hasn't given you a heart. And then he doesn't leave them with bad news. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, Moses gives them the good news. He says, God's going to fix this. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants so that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. There's a divine heart operation that leads to love for God, which leads to life and not death. Later prophets like Ezekiel, Jeremiah picks this up in Jeremiah chapter 31. They clarify that it's the Spirit who will do this work to Israel, and not just Israel, but all people who trust in the Messiah, the coming King. And if you trust in Jesus today, this work has happened to you. Galatians 5, 22, Paul starts off his list of the fruit of the Spirit by saying the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit brings to your heart is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All these things. There is no law against them because love fulfills the law. When God puts love for God on your heart, it revolutionizes your life. And Paul then says, Galatians 5, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit gives life. Walk by the Spirit. Produces fruit. True Christians, true Christians are those who have had this Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 heart surgery. And they've come alive to the beauty of the Lord and to the Spirit so that now they have affection for Him, whereas before there was none. Now they are attracted to Him. Love for the Lord is the mark of the Spirit's work, and it's the sign that someone is truly a follower of Jesus. Some of the most miserable people in our world today are those who have said no to some of the sand of this world. Some of the joys that the world promises, the joy of, a, an, of an affair, the joy of um, drunkenness, the joys and, and twisted pleasures that this world has to offer. And they say no to these things, but they live in a vacuum because they have not experienced the pleasures of knowing God. And they are miserable. Miserable. Because they haven't experienced the Spirit giving them the comfort and the joy and the hope of knowing Christ. But there's hope. There's always hope. Turn to Jesus. Ask Him. Send your Spirit. Change me. Put the love of God on my heart. Give me new affections for you, O Lord. Now I'd like to take us full circle back to where we started. What does it mean to love God? And what does it mean to love God with our heart, our soul, our strength? Remember, I said love, with a love was a powerful attraction to something or someone that delights our hearts. 
We love all sorts of things. Beautiful sunsets, tasty food, vacation, family, friends, a spouse, a cookie, a donut, great music, anything that thrills our hearts, that we find ourselves drawn to, that we hope to find joy in, we love and we commit ourselves to. And all of these lovely things on earth, they were created by God. They were put here by God as megaphones calling to us, taste us, see us, enjoy us, and know that you are just tasting but the outskirts of the glory of the triune God. The heavens are telling the glory of God. No earthly love can completely satisfy at the end of the day because it was never intended to. The earthly beauties that we taste and we enjoy, they are calling us further up and further in, as C.S. Lewis loved to say, into the glory that awaits us and that we experience even now in relationship with God. All earthly beauty, it's intended to help us see and hear and smell and taste the glory of God, but they always leave us wanting something more because there's more to be had. There is an infinite God who leads King David to sing, you make me know the path of life, Psalm 16, 11. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Eternal pleasures await the soul that seeks to find its all in God. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you want your heart satisfied? Make God your treasure. Make your relationship with him the center of your existence your very heartbeat. Love him with all your heart. Love him with all your soul, not half of it. All the essence of who you are. And love him with all your strength. Literally, the word there for strength is this word of veriness. All your muchness. What does that mean? Well, it encompasses you and all that's connected to you. Your wealth, your job, your daily choices, everything. Love God with it. And that leads to the third, well, the fourth point this morning. This morning. Our call, is we looked at Israel's call to love God, what that means, our call now, to love God with our everything. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 40. We read where someone asked Jesus, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Deuteronomy 6. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, all the commands of God in the Bible boil down to this. Love God, love the image of God. God hasn't left us without direction on what loving him and delighting ourselves in him looks like. All his commands that he gives us, they are intended to train us to live and love like he does. The God of love, he has made us in his image. He commands faithfulness because he's a faithful God who never breaks his promises. He commands justice because he is a just and right and true and fair in all he does. He commands truth because he is the God of light and there is no darkness at all in him. God is not a killjoy. He commands that we find our joy his way and ultimately in knowing him. So again, all of God's commands in the Bible. They're intended to guide us in the path of love. Love for him and love for humans made in his image. Even love for his good creation. How to care for his world. We sin 
as I said earlier, when our love, when our affections, they get out of whack and we love creation in the place of God, or we love things that God has declared as unlovely, the God of the Bible is the definition of love. And we are to love like him and love him with our all. So what I'd like to do now for the rest of our, our time together is look at several things that loving God means for us as we live the Christian life. Several points of application. First, loving God means we are called to love like him. Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. That means that we as Christians, we're not to stop at loving only the good and the beautiful things and beautiful people that we see around us in creation. That's natural, of course. We were wired that way. I married Holly because I found her beautiful and attractive. And that's a good thing, right? Should be. But sometimes Holly sins, right? And that's not a beautiful thing. And sometimes, more often probably, right, I sin against her. And my sin isn't attractive. But that doesn't make me say, along with the world, girl, you've got to get that negativity out of my life, you know? got to avoid you now. Stay away from negative people. And my wife is now negative, and all this unpositive energy, or what a negative energy is just, you know, messing with my personal space. I'm getting a divorce. No. That's not what we do. Although I love Holly, and it's a joy to be near her, I don't need her love. Capital N. I don't need to be full of the joys of marital love. No, the love of God has filled my soul's longings for love and is, in, is filling me with more of it as I grow to love, know and love God. And so it frees me to love God and to love others, not from a position of need, like I'm loving you and I'm being nice to you because I need something from you. I need you to fill my cup. No, Christians are those who are so full of the love of God that we are free to love others from a position of abundance, we reach out to love others, not because we need their love, but because we have experienced the joy of a love far greater than the world could ever imagine. And we find joy in bringing that love to others, even when there are enemies. When it's just not easy when it's really hard. And we're called to do that because we're called to love the way God loves. His love creates beauty wherever his spirit takes it. When God sends his spirit of love into the heart of a sinner who's rejected him, like he has for you and I, he transforms us. Slowly, yes, but one day, God's love will have completely transformed his people and this whole broken world so that we will be new creation fully. We are new creation now as we trust Christ, but one day his love will have finished its effect in our hearts. And the new creation to which we are heading, in the words of Jonathan Edwards, is a world of love. That's an awesome sermon. If you ever want to read one of the best sermons out there, heaven is a world of love. Make you want to go there. That's what is ahead of us. God's love always reaches out to the unlovely, 
and the broken and the weak and the rebellious. And he holds out the hope of transformation and restoration. Just look at the life of Jesus, how he lived when he was on the earth. He hung out with those who were not beautiful in the eyes of the world, and they became beautiful because he loved them. And we're to love like that, too. And here's the beautiful thing about this kind of love. At the end of the day, there is great joy in it. Great joy for us. And it's not selfish because they're getting love as well. If I love you, but you know I'm showing you love, but I'm hating what I'm doing in the moment, you're not going to feel very well. But if I love you, even when you've been unkind to me, and I show you love, and then I say, it is my joy to do this, because God loved me when I was his enemy, and I just love to love like that. That makes the world go, wow. They might run from it. But it makes them wake up, because it's not a natural love. It's a supernatural love. It comes from God's spirit. And we want to use, as God's people... We want, to, we want to use our love, our words, our time, our talents, our strength to beautify all things around us and everyone and give people an experience of the beautiful love of God in the hopes that they too might come to enjoy it like we have. Love is like that. If you've experienced an amazing restaurant and you just love the food there, something in you wants to share about it. You might post about it on Facebook. Eat here. It's amazing. The same goes for a beautiful sunset. You want to tell someone, did you see the sunset last night? It's amazing. Look out your window. It's beautiful today. And so beauty was meant to be enjoyed and shared. And our joy deepens when we share beauty with others. And so there's great joy to be found in extending the love and the forgiveness of God we've experienced to those who are far from God and even those who have hurt us and in the hopes, ultimately, that they come to taste and see that God is good. And we're called to love God. Not just, we're called to love God like God loves and we're called to love God with our time. Let's get practical here. Paul writes Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. Therefore, be careful how you walk not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. God calls us to use our time wisely. That means that there are unwise ways for us to use our time. All time belongs to the Lord. Every second of your day is a gift to you from God. From the moment when you wake up to the moment you put your head on the pillow and Rest, and even your rest, they're all gifts from God. And he wants you to use the time that he has given you to love people and to love him. If you use your time to work, he wants you to do it for the good of your neighbors, to do the best you can. If you use your time to take a walk in creation or clear out your hedgerow, he wants you, Carl was just saying he did yesterday, he and wants you. And the neighbor you, liked it too. And the neighbor liked it. That's a love of neighbor and do it with thankfulness in your heart to God for giving you the strength to enjoy his good world. If you use your time to sleep, thank him for the gift of rest and be reminded in your heart that you have to sleep because you're a created being, not the creator who neither slumbers nor sleeps. You are weak, but he is strong. There are thousands of ways that you could use your time each day. 
And though it can be very tempting for us to just bumble through life, following our hearts, fleeting desires from one distraction and occupation to another, I want sugar, I want TV, I want bed, I want TV, I want YouTube video for me, I want Facebook, I want whatever. We, we just follow our hearts around, whatever our fleeting presence. God actually wants us to think and pray actively about what we do with every minute that he's given us and to shape the routines and the habits that fill our time in ways that show for him show um show our love for him and show our love for his family and show our love to the world for people made in his image now one temptation that always i face with time management is i i can ask myself well what's wrong with what i'm doing with my time there's nothing wrong with this this is a wholesome video or thing I'm watching. But a better question to ask, that kind of avoids the right question. The better question to ask is, how can I best use this window of time to love my God and love my neighbor? And of course, my closest neighbors being my family. Time spent in prayer honors the Lord. Time spent in the Bible honors the Lord. Talking to God, hearing from God should be as central to our lives as breathing. Time spent serving others honors the Lord. Time spent enjoying God's good gifts with thanksgiving to him on our hearts honors the Lord. Time spent mindlessly surfing the internet, looking at funny memes or videos or gaming or watching sports or doing hobbies, that's not necessarily bad stuff, but it becomes bad when it gets in the way of loving people that God has called us to love. And it's so easy, at least I know for me, to justify my time wasting by saying, well, I've worked really hard. I deserve this break. Actually, you and I don't deserve to live. That's the reality of it. We have rebelled against the living God. We deserve to die. We don't deserve to live. Our sin is against God, but he has saved us and given us time. Our time is a gift from him. A break may actually be a good thing, giving us the rest and the strengthening that we need to go on loving people. But never forget, it's not a wage that we've earned. I deserve some me time because I've just been serving with these mission schemes all week and I'm exhausted. I just want to go do a little me. I did not deserve it. Right, Holly? I want to go on a walk this afternoon, but I'm just... Is that the most loving thing for my family who's also been exhausted this week? Okay. The battles in my heart as I'm writing the sermon this morning. All right, we'll keep moving on. Preaching myself here, okay? Get to listen in. Yeah. And this is an example of wisdom that we're trying to use. Will a walk restore my soul? By being in creation, enjoying God's good gifts. So I come back energized to love my family better? Yes. Does it need to be four or five hours long? Probably not. Okay? There might be another buck bed just over that ridge. i got to go find it and scatter. Okay? Again, this is tricky stuff. We've, and we have a God who will blend with this in a minute. He's loving and he's forgiving. And we get it wrong all the time. But he calls us pursue him pursue the way of love seek first his kingdom and all 
So I know for a fact that when I'm on my deathbed, I'm not going to be thinking, dang, I wish I spent more time hunting. Not a chance. And we must love God with our money. Jesus talks a lot about money because our use of money tells us a lot, tells God a lot about our hearts. And Jesus cares about our hearts. Money makes all kinds of promises to our hearts. Money says things like, do you see that nice thing? I can get it for you. It will make you so happy. Get it now? Pay for it later. Money asks us, do you worry about the future? I can set your heart at rest. Do you want to be happy? Hold on to me now, and I will guarantee that you'll always have what you need to be happy tomorrow. Money promises us freedom from fear. It says, I can buy you comfort. I can buy you health. I can make you feel successful by simply existing in large quantities in your bank. I can satisfy your soul, says money, with all the treasures that earth has to offer. I can provide for your family's future. I can send your kids to good colleges. And in some ways, here's a sobering thing, in some ways money can actually follow through on at least some of its material promises for us. And that's what makes money so deadly. Faith in money, trust in money, can actually masquerade as wisdom. Save stuff right now. Don't give it away because you don't know what might break tomorrow. But ultimately, money cannot give our hearts the rest that we long for. It can't deliver from death. Money, the things that it provides, it cannot ultimately satisfy our hearts. We'll just need to do what every American does. My garage is getting kind of cluttered. Maybe eventually I'll need another garage, a bigger garage with my stuff. The only way to free our hearts from the love of money is to be utterly satisfied with the presence and love of God. Keep your life free from the love of money, but be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The presence of God frees us from the love of money. It's the key to contentment in all circumstances. And the best way to wean our hearts off the love of money is to regularly give it away out of love for God and for others. Ultimately, all our money belongs to God anyway. Every cent you have, or you've ever made or will ever make, every cent belongs to God. So let's use it to serve him, to advance his kingdom in whatever ways we can. Now money is given to us ultimately by God. To use in such a way so that it becomes clear to the world, money's not my treasure. God is. And that takes wisdom. It takes prayer. It takes a heart of love. Oh, that we would be a people for whom the love of Christ controls us and controls our wallets. And we must love God with our hands. What we touch matters. Your hands, look at your hands a second. They belong to your creator. They're his hands. They were made for lifting burdens, for giving grace, for serving, for love, for working hard for the good of our neighbors and our fellow employees. They weren't made for sending hurtful text messages or Writing, our, texting out our frustrations on the Facebook for the world to see. Our hands were made for love. 
and let's use our hands to give the world a taste of the love that we have experienced. We must love God with our feet. Where we go matters. Do we go places that we might be tempted to sin against the Lord in our hearts? Paul says we've got to have good running shoes in the Christian life. Flee sexual temptation, he says in 1 Corinthians 6. Sometimes loving God means use our feet to run from things and places and relationships that would lead us to dishonor him. We must love God with our tongues. The Apostle James writes a lot about the tongue in James chapter 3. He says the tongue is like a small spark that can set a whole forest on fire. Is your home set on fire by your tongue? Or is your tongue like a cooling stream bringing grace and relief and love to others? We must use our tongues to love others. That's what they were made for. And one of the most loving things that we can do for others with our tongues is to point them to the love of God. God gave you a tongue. Use it by telling others about his love. And start with those closest, the little kids around you, the neighbors. Finally, I want this one to fly like a banner. Over everything else, we must love God by trusting his son, Jesus, and the work that Jesus did on the cross. On the cross, Jesus showed us a love like nothing the world has ever seen. He died for his enemies that they might come to experience and know and enjoy forever the love of God. Jesus didn't die because he needed our love. He was filled to overflowing with the love of his Father, and he went and came from heaven to earth from love and shed his blood in love on the cross so that we might come to taste and know the height and depth and breadth of the love of God, to know this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we might become filled to all the fullness of God, and the fullness of God being the Spirit himself who lives in us and gives us love. So I don't know about you, but I have failed to love God perfectly. And I fail every day. But if I love God by obeying him here and trusting what Jesus did for me on the cross, then Jesus' sacrifice pays for all my failures to love. And Jesus' spirit continues to help me learn to live and love more and more like the God of love. When all, and one day, okay, one day, all these failures to love will be over. And we will stand before our King, holy and blameless before him, in the words of Paul in Ephesians, in love. That's what we're headed for. You were saved for love. You were saved to love God, to love people. We cannot do it apart from the Spirit. So let's pray now for his help. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come down into my heart and into the hearts of each one here listening. And into the hearts of everyone in our church who can't be here. And I pray, Father, that you would work the love that you have shared with your son for eternity. That you would work that love in our hearts. That we would love others. And that we would love you above all. I just pray now that you would be with us as we close out our time. In Jesus' name, amen.